ora koutou, nā mihi nui uh, kia kai whakarongo. Uh, welcome to all our listeners once again. Hey, welcome to this week's edition of the Hui Come Home podcast. And today, we're doing things a little bit different because um, we've got a new interviewer, a new DJ. <laughs> I like DJ. Hey, roll over DJ. Yeah, um, last week we interviewed Aaron, or I interviewed Aaron, and then... Um, we kind of thought this week, what if Aaron interviews me? <laughs> so we thought, um, yeah, we'll try and flip things a bit here. But, uh, you know, uh, um, in fear of this being a little bit nepotistic or insular, um, you know, so sorry if people freak out a little bit about that. But we thought... Um, <laughs> you think they are? They're going to freak out about know, that? I don't know, you know, is this Jay and Aaron dominating the world? It is. <laughs> Picky a parata, yeah? Anyway, um... <laughs> Anyway, nah, anyway, we thought we'd uh, hand it over to Erin. So, Erin, off you go. Hey. I'll, 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 I will follow your lead. Hello, everyone. Cool. How sultry. connection. We are married, by the way, for those who don't know. So, we'll try to keep it family friendly. Yes, we will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Jefferson. Jay's real name is Jefferson. Kia ora. Jefferson, before we get into... Um, what you know my burning questions let's Uh, yeah let's start with who are you (laughs) who are you what's your background oh yeah ko taranaki uh toko ingo uh toko manga ko um uh, ko waiwakaio te awa ko toko maru te waka ko uh awa te iwi ko pukitapu te hapu ko muru raupati te marae um uh, call, uh, call, uh, Jay. Yeah. Um, I. Yeah. And for those who don't know, any Tereo So Taranaki is my ancestral manga. Um, um, Waiwakaio was my awa, uh, or one of my awa, uh, there in, uh, Taranaki in North Plymouth. And um, I connect to the Pukitapu Hapu um, in Te Ateawa Iwi, and, um, which relates to, in Taranaki, the uh, marae ko Muru Raupatu, um, and also have connections with all wai marae in Taranaki and Waitara, um, and um, yeah. Cool, yeah, so. cool. Did you grow up um, really knowing your story and your whakapapa? Um, for me, no, not at all. No. No, didn't, I didn't grow up knowing any of it. Any of it. Um, nada. So how did that come about? So how did that come about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Let me tell you. Um, because when I first met you, although you look very, you know. How long have we been married? Nearly 15 years. So met, I met you 16 years ago? Good Lord. I know. What <laughs> did we do? Um, so when I met you 16 years ago, you know, tall, dark, handsome, look a bit... Damn look straight. Look a bit, look a, look a bit indigenous. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, yeah. you know, but, but, um, but I didn't really like... I didn't really, I didn't really know you as, 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 you know, I didn't really right. know you as Maori. I, I, yeah. I mean, I knew that that was in, you know, that was in your blood, but you, you came across pretty European. Yeah, uh, I guess, um, you know, my, uh, where do I start? Um, there's lots of places to start there. I mean, firstly, my father is one of 13, so I, my Maori side is on my father's side, so he was Maori and... Um, part English Irish, um, his parents were, and of or descent anyway. And then um, on my mother's side is like Scottish and French and English. Um, actually, on dad's side, there's smidgen Portuguese on there as well. And on my mother's side, apparently she married one of the first Chinese immigrants coming into New Zealand. But anyway, but my father's one of thirteen, and he um, he grew up not knowing any any Maori. It sort mm. of wasn't cool for for them in the 1950s, 40s and 1950s. And so I think I think it's either his dad or his dad's dad throughout at that time their Māori tanga and their, their way of mm. being Māori. So so pretty much dad grew up without anything. So therefore we grew up without knowing anything either. Um, 
you know, but uh, I remember being, I remember always liking the haka, so even at school, you mm-hmm. know, I'd be, you know, you know, I was the brown face at Nelson Intermediate School, whatever, so, <laughs> hey, you know, you're the only brown kid here, whatever, you know, you, you, you lead the haka, but I've always been passionate about that, or passionate about, you know, doing it with the All Blacks, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, I always knew I was Māori, but I didn't know what that was, really, or what that meant, um, but I, but which kind of means that, it, you know, you go through identi- identity crisis, is, well, kind of kicks in when you're a teenager or whatever. You know, you, you I always knew I was brown on the outside, but white on the in, white on the uh, inside. I've been brought up in a Eurocentric world, you know. So, um, so when did that change? Like, well, when, when I, did you look, the, probably the most, you know, in my family life, I, I can only really remember going to my nan's tangi. Um, from being in a or or, or maybe, uh, the odd church world growing up in the church. The, I grew up in the apostolic movement, and now and then, I'd go to different Māori hui within that with that within that organisation. So, you know, I could probably count on one hand the amount of Māori sort of cultural experiences I had growing up as a kid. But when I was nineteen, when I was nineteen, I joined Youth for the Mission, and in YWAM for short, um, a lot of things done within that framework within that world in New Zealand was based around tikanga Māori, you know, so a lot of us, you were doing pōwhiri all the time to welcome people. Mm. And even though, um, <clears throat> even though it was pretty common, it still wasn't in in, in me, you know, I, I kind of felt, I still felt awkward, you know, when I was in a Māori context. Yeah, totally, because I didn't know what to do or didn't know what was being spoken of or... Yeah, you know, so I, I, personally I found that me being in a Māori context made me feel insecure. That's what I, that's what mm. I experienced. But, you know, over time that, you know, eventually changed. But um, I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I did have an experience about 11 years ago. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, funnily enough, I was in England. Yeah. Um, that I, was that was our first trip to England uh, together. Was it the first? I don't know if it was first or second. It might have been our second. Yeah, I think it probably would have been our second. Mm-hmm. But um, I heard this lady talking on hearing God's voice, which we you know we'd heard we both of us had heard it for years. And um, shout outs to Donna Jordan um, <laughs> and. You know, she did her thing on, you know, learning how to hit, pick up the spirit and hear God's voice and blah, you know, all that sort of stuff. And she made us go away and do this exercise and ask three questions. I can't remember what question two and three was, but question one was, God, what do you think about me? So we were just to go away and ask this question. So I've done this exercise, you know, a few times before and I go for a walk. I'm in this field, in this little English field. It's quite quaint, <laughs> quite lovely. That was like the bell, where the, the bell flowers, the blue bell flowers. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah there were, yeah. And it's kind of weird because, you know, I kind of had my hands in my pockets and sort of, in, in a way, I was kind of rolling my eyes, you know, I'm here I am doing this exercise or whatever. And so in my in my <laughs> mind's voice, in my imagination, I was like, okay, God, what do you think about me? And instantly, like, honestly... I had something come straight back to me that I wasn't thinking about any of this. And I felt the good Lord, the great spirit, say to me, Jay, I think you're Māori. <laughs> and I can remember sort of stopping in my tracks. Because you didn't expect that? Not at all. I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I wasn't in an identity crisis or whatever, not that I knew of. I probably was, but not that yeah. I actually was conscious <laughs> within my mind. But um, yeah, I when I felt God say that about me, I mm-hmm. was stunned really because I never really it's kind of something I never really accepted in myself. Mm-hmm. But when I found out, whoa, God thinks I'm Maori, <laughs> you know where. <laughs> Excuse me, where I might go into circumstances or whatever, and 
you know, I'm, you know, like I said before, I'm the brain on the outside, I'm white on the inside, you know, and I just know I'm incredibly awkward sticking out like a sore thumb because I happen to be tall as well, so it's not like I can hide, you know. It's like, ah, oh, there's the kook, you know, or whatever. But uh, but I guess when I heard that, felt that in my spirit, I was like, oh, my goodness. Man, if that's what if that's what God thinks about who I am, then... Well, it's really, worth paying attention. To I don't really time. care what anyone else thinks. Yeah, <laughs> you know whether I'm a, you know, you know whether I'm a peppy pow pow, you know, a little baby stumbling through my yeah. leo or whatever, or you know, you know, I'm yeah, I'm awesome or <laughs> whatever, you know. Something happened to me that secured me that it's yeah. okay for me because this is what God thinks of me. So I felt this incredible sense of peace. Yeah. Coming and that and that whole thing has really resonated me, and it keeps growing and keeps growing to the point where I realise that you know, from God's perspective, who I culturally am, therefore who not therefore, but the culture is really important to God. Yeah, really important, you know. Yeah, and and not separate from who we are in a way, you know. Like I, I am made. Yeah. This is a big part of who 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 I am. So. It's like that's inescapable part of your yeah. attention. Yeah. And and that I mean that little incident really triggered something in me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, I need to pay attention. I need to I need to lean into this. So, so that was about what it was, was two thousand five. So that's two thousand five. So fast forward to what, two thousand and eight. Which we talked about last week. Which we talked about last week was the the year that um I had the dream of the gigantic chicken That's by right. the Pahutakawa tree and then I heard God speak the word huia <laughs> <laughs> and then I heard God speak huia and I woke up so fast forward to that moment and I remember like it was a real short dream and I remember that same afternoon um I was just trying to figure it out like I thought that God was saying something but I came to you and I said I've had this random dream which I often have random dreams so I'm not mm. sure if you even I don't know if at the time when I shared the dream if you thought it was significant at the time but it has gone on to really shape for both of us a lot of what we're doing so what what about that dream captured your imagination and how did that how did it how did it capture you why did Um, it capture you i think for me um yeah, I'm trying. I mean, I'm trying to remember. Uh, like, because initially, re- I'm not really sure if you really gave it much. Well, thought. the 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 thing that the thing that I leaned into is what at that time we'd been married. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> seven years, eight, yeah, six, seven years. Um, so you know, I, I had learned about you and and dreams. So, you know, I I I had learned when to pay attention to to. You know your normal pizza dreams, <laughs> you know, versus those ones that really stick out. You know, so this was a lingering dream that you'd had, and so mm. we, you know, we obviously kept lingering talking. in the sense that I kept bringing it yeah, up. Yeah, and we kept, you know, you kept talking about it, and we kept contemplating it. But I mean, for you know, I've I've actually always been intrigued by the Huya. Oh, yeah. Like even as a kid, oh, um, okay. you know, I mean, there were two. I, I was always fascinated in Kakapo or. The story of the Takahe, a bird that was extinct but came found back, and I I, oh. I remember even thinking as a kid, wow, well, imagine if the huia came back. I never you heard know. you say that. Oh. Yeah, no, it's always the huia bird is, and I don't really know why. It's not like it's been, you know, it's not like I'm an orthonologist or whatever it is, you know, and you know I'm a bird watcher and go, you know, <laughs> buzz out, word. buzz out on birds or whatever. <laughs> But it's more that no, it, you know, in the recesses of my memory, um, mm. the idea that Huya was always something that I, I actually was attra- attracted to. So as, I guess as we leaned into the dream and we found out and we discovered it, and like you said, we don't need to repeat what you said last week. But when we, when the chicken and the Huya went ah waha, well the the chicken representing this imported. Yeah, Western ways that are become unusually large and are dominating the landscape, and then there's this indigenous hui that's extinct, uh, yeah, you know, and unseen. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, the bizarre thing, the bizarre thing is, is that I found my, I found that to be a description of my life. Really, in what way? Well, I've been brought up Western. Yeah, so like the chicken is bigger I, in you than I yeah, am, okay. I am Maori. Yeah. I am Scottish and English, whatever. Um, 
um, but uh, you know I haven't been brought up within a Maori paradigm. So at, with the, at all. So, so was the dream really personal at first? Like, I mean, did you did it did it take root in you on a personal? Man, level? you know what I, um, I, I think I think what took took root into me was that the process of that whole week, and hearing the stories of history in you know January two thousand eight. Why have I not heard any of these yeah. stories before? Because I've yeah. been brought up in the church my whole life, since I was two, right? I may have vaguely heard the Tarori story, but. Okay. You know, didn't get my skateboarding, rugby playing, surfing imagination or whatever at the time. But, um, um, yeah, I, I think hearing the history for the first time and just feeling excited and also pissed off yeah. that I'd never heard this stuff before. And then and then that dream being this umbrella. Which was the same week, right? Same week, yeah. yeah this dream being almost like, like being a blanket over the whole thing. Wow. You know, so it became this unfolding process in what did I just go through? What was that dream all at the same time? You know, and really the dream became the, it's it's summed up that week really, an an impacting week in my life, you know. And I found myself, I found lots of questions being answered. Well, not, sorry, um, it's not questions being answered, but it's almost like a key to find answers. Okay, yeah. Things I intuitively yeah. know. For, for example, why is all of Christianity in New Zealand fascinated with what happens somewhere else? Like as an America, like, as an America, Australia, Australia yeah. Yeah. England. Like what? It, like 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 why? Like why is where are the Kiwi things? Where are the Kiwi vo- voices, yeah. sounds? Blah 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 blah. And so for you, you know, like, it so, gave you yeah, some, and it, some and it, and it was answers. like this, the, it's it's extinct. Yeah. Something's, something of. You know, and of course I'm talking within a Christian framework, and then I'm talking within my very small Christian framework as well. You know, yeah. Christianity is a very very broad spe- spectrum of things but within my christian world it felt like you know th- th- yeah th- things were ex- extinct things what was it about the huia not because there's been there's a lot of extinct animals right. what is it specifically about the huia and the idea of the huia coming home like you've you i think you were the one that um Coin that phrase, right? Who you come home? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not just sure. Kinda just kind of just came out I, of... It's probably too good for me, so I'm putting it down to you. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, it happened. But the point, the idea of... Because that was something that lodged into both of us is is with this this kind of expectation that, man, wow, God creates when he speaks. And if God yeah. speaks Huya, then wow, maybe he's bringing this extinct home. Like, it's always yeah. been a real hopeful yeah. dream for us. Yeah. But, I mean, other than the fact that, wow, the Huya like as a cool bird that's gone but what is it like that 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 in itself kind of grabbed our attention initially but then as you did research or as we leaned into what the huia is like can you tell us a little bit about the significance of the huia in Aotearoa and why what that represents and why that kind of gives some specific (laughs) hope in some specific direction yeah i look i you know you know delved into the huia and began to research it and so like this um I mean, some of the cool things, you know, I, I found, of, of course, it's one of the most, I mean, the huia, the huia feather is one of the most sacred taonga mm. within the old Māori world, you know. So, you know, like at least 90% of the f- images, the Lindows, the Goldies, you know, all the old school images you'd see or, or even early photographs of Māori leaders, most of them would have a huia feather. In them, you know, and the huia feather was, you know, just given to leaders, you know, um, you know, kamatua, you know, korawa kuya, you know, people of mana, people of distinction, people who have, you know, had really served their people, you know. So the huia feather was, you know, it was a chiefly. And was there, was there a reason why it was um, so special? Well, they, well. You know, who, who, like I, I don't know what the I don't actually know what the order of things are, okay. but because within the Māori world the head is tapu, mm-hmm. and this the feather became headdress. You know, like, 
it be- it became symbol of, a symbol of the most sacred yeah okay you know area of the mind and the head and all that sort of thing so there was the, the, the bird was given mana through its association with the chiefly head, you know, mm. with the leadership So the head. bird itself became sacred. Yeah, 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 but I'm not saying that was the thing that made it, okay. because I, I'm not sure, because also within Māori mythology, the, the huia, I mean, there's, there's, you know, within different iwis, there's 12, you know, rangi, uh, rangi tūhaha, um, different levels, separate levels of the heavens. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a lot of iwi... Um, some say ten, but uh, uh, many say there's twelve layers to the okay. you know to haha, to the layers of the heavens, and um, heavens as in like the physical heavens or spiritual heavens or both. Well, yeah, both. Yeah, okay. So you know, here being the first layer. Here as an earth, the earth being the yeah. first layer. But Rangiatia, the highest heaven where Iomatua Kore dwells. Who's Iomatua Kore? The uncreated God, you know. Iomatua Kore, you know, Jehovah Yahweh. But Matua Kore means parentless one, one without mm. parent. In other words, one without a beginning, you know. Yeah. So the uncreated one. But um, uh, the Huya is one of four gatekeepers of Rangiatia, the highest heaven. Mm. I forget who the other three are right now. I should remember it, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, the Huya was also. Um, the leader of the oh gosh, the, the leader leader of the forest dwellers, so all the insects, the patupaire here, the fairy people, the trees, mm-hmm. uh, the huia was the leader, yeah. you know of of uh, all the forest dwellers. Was there, I mean just to put things in perspective? Were were there any other animals other than forest dwellers in in Aotearoa? Oh, you know. Other than the so, fish, other than, so the, other than the fish, so really, like like everything on the land, it was the huia was. Could have been. Yeah. I haven't really thought about that, but if you think about the forests went down to the water's edge, then maybe yeah, I don't know. So it was but, like like instead of king of the jungle, like the lion king of the jungle, you're talking the, like huia. The, the leaders of the hakuturi, I think it was called something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they were the yeah. king and queen of. Um, yeah, of 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 the forest dwellers. So, they, you know, the huia was the sacred mm. became to to be the sacred thing it's cry so the sound it made is you know some recordings say it's like a hue or sometimes a huya hue anyway um but <laughs> the, the, the name? name of called huya comes from that sound that it made which was always um meant you know the, the word hui meant meant to gather, mm-hmm. so the bird became a symbol of gather of gathering. You know, coming of together, gathering the people. You know, oh. or gathering the toa. You know, the group for war or what whatever it was, but 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 bringing people together. So this bird, um, yeah, but, you know, in many ways, you know, like the, you know, we put our money in the bank in the old days. We'd put our most sacred treasures in what we call a wakahuya. Mm-hmm. You know, so the wakahuya was a carved chest, and that was kept in the rafters of the, you know, of your fari. Wow. You know, and all of your spe- special possessions, which could wow. included maybe yeah. a feather, you know, w- you know, went into you know what was the most sacred look after that box thing. You know, and that was named after the huia feather, the wakahuya. The wakahuya. You know, where you would protect your most sacred taonga. So I think. This whole this you know the dream you had and this whole thing is about those those things which are beautifully uniquely sacred to Aotearoa. Yeah. Like no my hiding my kiko na you know come home come home here you know. Um, uh, Why do I
the uniqueness of um, the male and female huya and what made them different and how they work together and things like that? Uh, <clears throat> when scientists first showed up, they first thought that there were two different species of this Caladai Cal- type of bird, you know, what the European name or whatever. Um, you know, some of them are the Kōkako is another that was related to the huya. Okay. There's the sort of a grey with the blue warble oh, yeah. thing. Um, so the huya was, was in that species. And they first thought they were different because... Like the male and female. The male different. and the female, because the female has a long curved beak and the male has a short, shorter stub. And there's no, there was no bird species known of that had such different beak. Okay, it looks um, so different, yeah. You know, beak sizes, I know there's a fancy name for it, but I forget what it is. <coughs> so they thought they were two different species, but um, who are mostly, not always, but mostly hung out in pairs. <laughs> so um, they, they hung out in pairs, and not only did they Males hang out and female. male and female, yeah. they mated for life. Oh, cute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, which is a metaphor in itself, but anyway, um, they, uh, um, yeah, they were often to found found together. They were very friendly. They they were, they were actually, it's been recorded, they would hop up onto, you know, walkers' boots or sometimes sit on their shoulder. They would, if they were... So they liked people. They liked people, yeah. They'd be, well, they'd be, they were... A friendly bird, so they became. They were curious. They were like, "Oh, who are you?" You know. Um, <laughs> who are you? Who are <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> when they were, some you know were in kept in captivity, and they were known to mimic voices, um, like a parrot. Like a parrot. Um, but when one partner died, then, like within ten days, the other partner died. Oh, yeah, why? Quite sad. Just sad. Broken heart. <laughs> I like them. Yeah, um, strange. Yeah, not strange. Beautiful. That's amazing. Spiritually connected. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and what about like um, I really like what we've learned about um, the way that they would work together, even just to eat and survive. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, that's that right. Sort of thing. Yeah, the um, because the female had the the beautifully curved, curved, elegant beak, um, she couldn't peck into the soft the wood of the trees or the old rotten trees where the hoo-hoo grubs dwelled so the male would peck into it you know mm-hmm. smash the crap out of the, the, the wood and get over to where the bugs were and then throw the bugs into the air and the female would catch them you know <laughs> yeah so they really they and what was they, and what was the female's job because she had she oh she, she would actually she would get her beak into the wood yeah. sometimes and get her long curved beak down and pull them out as well yeah, because she could yeah, get into places that he couldn't yeah, get into. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, what about like they went extinct? Why did they go to extinct, and how does that relate to the metaphor? Um, a couple of things. Um, uh, there's two main reasons, really. Um, um, but to 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 give background to those reasons, firstly, the huia were hunted. By Maori, mm-hmm. because um, of because they were treasured. Um, yeah. yeah, Walter Buller came across in the eighteen was eighteen seventies eighteen sixties a, a you know a couple of you know a, a crew of Maori. Who was um, Walter Buller? Men. He's Walter Buller was like a, a bird scientist dude. Okay. New Zealand's first famous bird wrote the Buller's Book of Birds, famous book anyway. But he, um, yeah, I think he found a a crew of Māori had caught 646 huia, you know, wow. so quite quite a lot. Um, you know, but that was that was one, one pack. But at the same time, Māori would, the elders would go, no more. Okay. So they'd put a ban. So that range, no more, leave it. Yeah. You know, so they would put a rahui or a ban on an area for hunting huia. And tried to lobby the government in the 1870s, 1980s, 1890s to do the same thing. But anyway, that's another story. But um, so a couple of things. There used to be forests all the way down to the water's edge. Mm. Of course, with colonisation, you know, the main goal was to farm the land. So the forest got cut back. And the huia only dwelled in the old, old forest, not the young regenerative stuff, but Mm. only lived... In the old ancient stuff, so of course. Why was that? 
Uh, because the, the wood was softer. Okay. To, to eat. Yeah. Um, so they had, it wasn't just like, like they were snobby. They didn't want to go to the new No, they, they actually, yeah, yeah. they actually yeah, like had yeah. to yeah. stay in the... Yeah. And they weren't... Um, snobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Huya weren't... Um, they flew, but they didn't fly long distances. So they only do it in okay. the, hung out in the big trees or whatever, that sort of stuff. But anyway, um, like many species, actually, our, the habitat shrunk okay. due to farming. Yeah. Yeah. So they cut down their home. Cut down their home, you know. So that that the the habitat, uh, like just yeah, disappeared. Um, and then you know another thing you know is that um, I mean they were, they were hunted of course. Um, one of the beliefs were in the eighteen eighties and eighteen nineties the idea of conservation of the English idea of conservation was, oh, they're dying out. Quick, let's get them and stuff them and put them in museums. Why? The reason why is because the belief was anything that was local, uh-huh. anything that was indigenous, whether that's plant, animal, or people, yeah. were inferior to anything that came from the quote-unquote civilised world. Okay, including like birds and including stuff. Including Birds, including cows and sheep and okay. goats and ferrets. So chickens were the superior chickens. ones. So anything... Supi- yeah, so in their minds, chickens were superior to... Basically, them. European civilized life was far superior than anything indigenous. So the belief of the European was, well, the indigenous is inferior, therefore it's probably going to die because we're a dominant species. Okay. Um, so... We'll, we'll let it die off anyway. So it's almost like, almost like a kind, like in their kind of worldview, was that sort of like a, hey, we'll do a nice thing and, and kill off someone, put them in museums so at least we can remember what they look like? Was I'm not it? even going to say that that was nice. <laughs> no, it's that's why I don't nice. think it's nice. I'm just yeah. trying to, I know, I know. I'm going to offer I'm, them something yeah, to go, that's just like the, Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. And, you know, I, I, know I, I know people can look at me in my life in hindsight and go, Jay, you're an egg, you know. But, yeah, but you know. No, but just, was I it think, just arrogant? Yeah, it's just arrogant. It's yeah, just okay. it's just blind arrogance. So the Huya were hunted; they were killed off, you know. But the nail in the coffin. I mean, a couple of things. Walter Buller, this guy Walter Buller, loved birds. He was a missionary kid. He was born here, born in Northland. Wow. He grew up speaking Maori, but he had an identity struggle, mm. and his struggle was that he's a Pakeha fella, born here. He was born in the colony. Therefore, all of the Englishmen from overseas looked down upon those who were from the colony, and Walter Buller also sort of as was their from association, the colony. Their association exactly. with something inferior. The association yeah. was Walter Buller was born in the colony, therefore he was inferior. Wow! So he was he grew up with this identity struggle of always trying to fit in, always trying to fit in. So he um, he was a politician. You know, you know he. He built his career on science as a bird watcher. It was you know New Zealand's famous birds bird watcher. He also got into politics, but he was when when it became very clear that Huey was almost gone. Um, the New Zealand government in the eighteen eighties or eighteen nineties, sorry, I forget exactly which one. They set up two bird sanctuaries. So one was Resolution Island off Fiordland. One was Little Barrier Island off Great off Auckland. And Walter Buller was given two live pair. The last two lives. Two, I don't know two, if they no, were... They were two, like a male and a female, one male pair? Male and female. Or two, pair. two pairs of those? No, one pair. So oh, one male pair. and female. Yeah, okay. He was given these to take to one of those islands and set up a bird sanctuary. Instead, he... I don't know if he gave them or sold them, but he gave them to Lord Rothschild. <laughs> I can imagine someone like a big hat. And an eccentric, <laughs> rich English dude in London... Just to try and fit in with the in crowd in London, wow. so the last two pair that the government no, ever got the last a hold pair. of the last, the last pair, sorry, yeah. the last two birds. Thank you, um, editor of my book. Right <laughs> um, the um, he gave them away and sent them to London. No, alive or dead. I think they were alive, but they might have died not the... long after getting oh. there. Yeah. And he was a guy but, that had like. But he was he was the guy that was charged to set up this thing. Instead, he gave him away. 
And anyway, in oh, in, in, eight, in 19... So what does that sound like? Anyway, well, 1901. Yeah, a, little bit, there's a little bit you could say there about oh, metaphor with identity. Huh? So much. Giving not, away and, our treasures look, to prove who yeah, you are. In 1901, the Duke and Duchess of York came to Aotearoa, you know, come and visit the colony, whatever. Um, um, and because the Duke was a chief, he was with um, Te Arua in Rotorua, and the kuya gave the chief a huia feather mm. and put the feather in his bowler hat. To the duke. Oh, to the duke, yeah. So, because he was a chief. And so oh, wow. he put this feather in his bowler hat. Journalists took photos of the Duke and Duchess of York. And those photos went in newspapers all around the world. And all of a sudden, there became this worldwide hunger for the huia feather. It was fashionable. I want, people wanted the huia feather. And so it really started this mass hunt, you know. So at, wow. at, at a time when a lot of land, all the land had been cut back for farming, so the habitat was small, easy to hunt. So that was in 1901. The bird was last seen in 1907, six years later. Wow. So the, fashion, fashion killed the last of the huia? Fashion killed it. Fast fashion? Fast fashion, yes, we could talk about that. Don't buy cheap crap clothes. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, f- uh, fast fashion killed the huya. So that was the final. Straw. There's two real big things: farming and fashion. Wow. Took off. Um, took took from us this treasured taonga, you know. So and that's not to, you know. So when would you sorry, I cut you off. When was the last sighting of a huya? Want to say anything about the, what December you... December 28, 1907. 1907. Yeah. 1907 happened to be the year that um, uh, the Tohunga Suppression Act was put into Parliament to ban spiritual healing or, or prophetic prophecy from the Tohunga. Do you think that's coincidence? Um, Is that a sign to us? Yeah, I think it is actually. Mm. Something was killed. Something of the indigenous way of doing things, which believed in supernatural stuff. You know, this is like manifested in politics as well. Yeah. 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 You know, uh, and at the same time, the same year, nineteen oh seven, was the year that Tohu and Tefiti, the prophets of Parihaka, yeah, e Rua Manu, the two two birds, they passed away that same year. You know, and I think it's a sign. Wow, Something two, died. Two, they were known as the two birds. They were known as the two birds. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, um, these two so incredible prophets of peace passed away the same year the Huya was last seen, you know. So this whole wow. this whole phraseology of Huya come home uh, you know, layers or, or, or layer upon layer, but it's not I think it's just giving voice to a movement that's in the land, Christian or not Christian. Yeah. In other words, um, yeah, it's not like it's not like some no, Christian no, metaphor that we've no, come up with no. and invented. It, I think it's something that, like Wairuatapu is doing in this place where he's he's churning over the indigenous way of thinking, mm. the indigenous way of being. I mean, Jesus was indigenous, right? <laughs> um, for a starter, he was not white with blonde and blue eyes. But well, hold on, that this, makes it sound yeah. like only indigenous things are brown too. True, you thank you, but yeah, the, you the caricature of Jesus, so we say, is not yeah. is not yeah. you know what we think of when we think of an indigenous Jesus. But um, I think yeah, this whole phraseology of who we come home is giving. It's given some sort of language to what is already happening. Yeah. And I don't think you can stop. You can't stop this. <laughs> you can't stop. Uh, it, it, it was stopped. Like, you know, in the last 100 to 200 years, you know, the indigenous voice all around the world has been stopped by the Western expanding empire. But we're at a time now where those first voices that experienced injustice we are now reaping what they sowed, you know? Yeah. Like, generation upon yeah. generation upon generation have sowed in tears, but I think 
we are gratefully alive to see what they sowed come into fruition and that is that their way of being their way of thinking about the world their way of perceiving the created order their way of relating to Papatuanuku to the land to the whenua mm. um, their way of thinking primarily communally and not individually um, is screaming out right mm. now this is wow. the way follow me Wow. Yeah, so I think that's what the huya. What would you say, really like from, um, like what has what has gripped you about that dream in terms of what you believe, what your conviction is, or what God is saying? Like when he's like in the dream, the voice of God just said one word. It said he said huya. What's your interpretation of that? What's your hope? What do you want? You know, what has your been your curiosity and hope about what God is? doing well, with that like why not like for instance like yeah. like why why didn't i just dream that um why didn't i just dream that a huya just suddenly hopped out of the sky and yeah. fell on the clouds and yeah. stomped on the chicken and the chicken shark like i just think there could have been a lot of different dreams that that i you know that god could have given i think my interpretation on that is you kind of mentioned it before but um you know, my philosophical understanding of how God moves in the world is through voice, mm-hmm. through reo, you know, this resonance of voice. Um, and, you know, um, by faith, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith we believe that God spoke the world into being. Mm. Um, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing God's word, not reading, hearing, hearing something, um, Hmm. uh, you know, you know, God said, let there be light, you know, and there was light. So I, I, I think voice or real is the creating force of life life and death is in the power of the tongue with it we bless and we curse we bring life or we bring death so I think when God says oh yeah he has spoken life over hmm. our land yeah. and he's saying this is what this life is I am bringing this thing back to life <coughs> I am the God that calls things that are not as though they were <laughs> you know, and I, 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 you know, something in my heart believes that we will see it again. Right? Yeah. You know, I, something in my heart does. I, I know I'm going to see it when I die. I will see the huya. I know the huya are alive. They are alive right now. I hope somehow that it will fly back through the veil and appear to us <laughs> in some bush wow. and so awesome dude will find it one day. But, um, but, but in this context of God saying huya, I think He's saying everything, everything about what it represents, the sacredness of it, what it means to Māori, how it is a sign of Māori leadership. Yeah. That Māori have a sacred place to lead us right now. Doesn't make them any greater than anyone else, just like a Jew is not greater than a Gentile, mm-hmm. right? But there's something, there's a gift. There's a treasure in that way of thinking and that way of being that right now in our times of, you know, defunct Western systems that are creating a massive avenues of injustice over the earth and, and water and economics, the indigenous way needs to be listened to. Yeah, so well. I think for me, when God, when I, you know, hear the dream that God said, who are to you? That's how I have. That's what I've taken that to mean. That's beautiful. Yeah, life is coming. So, I just um, I didn't even think about this until right now. But we're we're getting close to the Advent, aren't we? Is Advent coming up soon? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was thinking. Uh, like, Advent starts on Sunday. Does it this Sunday? Sunday the twenty seventh. I just you know, it just occurred to me because I think for the last few Advents, um, there's been something for me. It's like I've gained some traction. Um, with my understanding 
of the Huya every Advent season. Um, you know that you know Advent is this time that we look back on the first coming of Jesus and we look forward to his second coming and everything <coughs> that he brings with it. Yeah. And I, 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 it's I think for me um, over the last few years the 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 Huya has become the symbol of Advent for me. This hope right. that. Um, that what was lost is not lost forever. That this right. is our great hope in in Christ. Right, yeah. That He holds all things. Yeah. And nothing dies in Him. And not, and more than that, He brings this. He brings these things back. Um, yeah. Yeah. So hey, timely, huh? Yeah. Advent on Sunday. Yeah. Who you come home? Who you come home? It's mm. good. Closing thoughts, Jeff. Anything else? Is it um. Yeah, look, I mean, maybe, you know, we'll just close that for me, you know, I mean, we've talked mainly about the metaphor um, for me, it has been an excess in pursuing this metaphor and pursuing what I believe, you know, God is saying, you know, has become an, 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 an exodus, a journey in losing myself and finding myself so things that I might find I will put it this way I've just had to let go of things you know what sort of things well for example my my work life right so I remember God saying to me Jay when I was working in youth of the mission Jay this structure is imported into Aotearoa Um, you know the name the whatever it's not coming from the soil so I had to let that go, and I loved it. I lo- I, lo- I loved what I was doing. You know, yeah. loved the people I was part of. But for me, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that everyone else needs to do that, not at all. But I'm saying I had to go on that journey. Yeah. Um, and there's you know there's been several occasions like that where things that I've been a part of and things that I've loved, I've had to let go of, for the sake of digging more into the Māori world, which has been an exercise of losing myself. But as I'm losing myself, I'm discovering myself as well, you know. (laughs) So, um, like, I I know, in a way, what I'm saying sounds right and sounds, I'm sure it resonates with many people, but the simple truth of it is it's freaking hard to do. Yeah, it is. You know, and that's where people have to go you know um you know i desire with all of this that because i believe we're living in a time where the maori mind not needs to leave lead us because it's a nice thing to do to honor our treaty partners the maori mind needs to lead us because the answers to to save our world you know to bring wholeness is hidden within that mindset you know, and the world won't unlock it until it sees from that perspective. So, can know, I just ask? Can I just ask a question? Because I, I can hear this question in the back of my mind of like my church perspective. That I can hear kind of the uh, maybe the a Christian response to that would be, yeah, but but Jesus is the one that saves. Like culture doesn't save, Maori don't save. It's Jesus. The Maori, you know, like like what are you saying, Jay? That Maori are going to save us? Isn't it Jesus that saves us? What would what do you? So what would yeah, you respond I think to that? Jesus is saving us through the Maori world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, the creator God, the one who created everything, is pulling a certain tool out of his kitty mm-hmm. and going, um, hey, this is the tool I need to use right now. Yeah. Right? This this time. In other words, <clears throat> you know, this way of thinking is necessarily to do this at a time right now. So um <clears throat> you know, salvation is not an ethereal concept. It's a grounded, mm. earthly concept. That means something in real time actually happens. So it's all everything that happens is always dressed up in the culture of humanity. So, you know, again, I'm not saying that everything and everyone has to be Māori because that's impossible because you're only Māori if you were born Māori. But you can... I think we're living in a time where it's helpful... For people to now learn off Māori mm-hmm. and to learn from from and to see something that our our New Zealand social story of progress, which has been one of 
ah, the indigenous is inferior, the indigenous is inferior, and has always been sort of put off to the side or whatever. I'm waving my arms right now to the side so you guys can't see that. <laughs> he's giving really good motions <laughs> yeah, yeah. to what he's saying. <laughs> um, you, you, you know, it's, it now can't be put off. In other words, it's it's come around to the place where... We can't ignore it anymore. We can't ignore it anymore, you know? Yeah. You know? So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Those who have, what would Jesus say? He who has ears, she who has ears, let them hear. Yeah. What the Spirit says to the churches, you know, what the Spirit says to the world. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, That's great. That's really, really good. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, Yeah. Well, kia ora, people. Um, I I hope that's been helpful in some sort of way. Again, unpacking more of the metaphor um, of this... um, of this incredible bird which this um, series is all about um, uh, helping us to see the world through um, old ancient eyes so um, kia ora folks um, have a great weekend it is the first weekend of Advent this Sunday so um, time to reflect on the Christ child um, nā mihi nui a kia koutou um, kia kite.